Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, Sandra Woffington steps into the interrogation room to clear up a few things about her writing and research. Sandra graduated from the UCI Humanities Honors Program and has a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from Chapman. She's composed and published several series, including her most popular Wine Valley Mysteries and has catchy alliterative titles like Burgundy and Bodies. In addition to her latest releases, Sandra's agreed to answer my questions about her creative process, her research and writing, all of which is certain to be against the advice of her legal counsel, who, for the record, isn't present for today's proceeding. Uh, Sandra, thanks for stepping into Writers on the Beat and uh, joining us today. Thank you for having me, Gavin. I want to also thank you for, I know you donate uh, some of your book sales for helping benefit law enforcement professionals, veterans, and their families. It's a wonderful thing you do. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I... Um, I I really try to uh, try to give back to a lot of the stuff. I didn't realize how um, how much uh, cops and first responders need those organizations until a kind of tragedy befell my my former agency. And it's uh, it's a small thing, um, but it means so much. Yeah, it's important. Now I understand you you've just completed a pretty uh, Herculean effort, having launched uh, three titles last month. What what motivated you to do that, and why don't you have friends who care enough about you to talk you out of it? <laughs> Good question. Um, yes, actually, I'm in a, another group where they call it a quick release, and to try to release the first book, and then a week later release the second, and then two weeks later release the third, uh, to try to attract readers and um, also promote those three books at the same time. It, I, I think it worked because I, I was able to break the top 100 on Amazon with Burgundy and Bodies at number 82, which was, which was fun for me. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. And, um, but I didn't write those all, obviously, in one month. I, I write about – that series I can write about a book a month. So that's where – and that's now that's my plan going forward is to write one a month. So uh, tell us about these new releases and, and for readers new to you in your writing, uh, what do you want them to know about the series and, and its characters? Sure. So the, the main characters, uh, I like opposites. They create some friction. That's mm -hmm. I work a, a lot on creating characters. I like my fiction to be character driven. So Detective Max Pride King is blonde, blue-eyed, self-assured, and pretty easygoing. Therefore, Dr. Joy Burton is the opposite. She's dark and uh, sort of disturbed forensic psychologist. I like to say that if Wednesday Adams of the Adams family grew up, <laughs> <laughs> she would be Dr. Joy Burton. Uh, she also teaches on Monday nights, so that's where some of my research comes into play. Um, I'll sometimes tie a lecture that she's giving into a murder, like in Pinot Noir and Poison. She lectures about poisons and lethal dose. Um, she also has a 21-year-old ball python named Monty. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then there's a little bit of a subplot. The two characters... Um, ha had shared the first three and a half years in the same house until they were adopted out by two separate fathers and they've only recently been reunited and so their own kind of mystery of who they are because there was no paper trail is a, a subplot and it's um, last thing I would say is that it's it's a location 
um, location murder. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I hope readers like to step into the, what I call the wicked world of Wine Valley. Uh, my vision is a little bit like, you know, the show Friends, except with lots of dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that, that should definitely appeal to, uh, to folks in our, our generation that uh, almost grew up on that show. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if there was an episode my wife and I hadn't seen before. You know, it's, uh, it's a problem. Yeah, you know, and then you have Midsummer Murders and Death in Par Paradise, so where it takes mm -hmm. place, in a, you get to know the characters. Now, your website and, and open source profiles say that you've been writing as long as you can remember. What What's your first memory that you have of writing, and do you remember what it was you wrote? You know, besides writing, I, the one thing that I feel has always made me a natural-born storyteller is uh, in the fourth grade, I got in trouble for daydreaming. Now... <laughs> The teacher asked, literally asked a question of what was I reading about, a dog or a pink elephant? I'd never heard, you know, and I was not listening. And I said a pink elephant, thinking that that was the more unique choice. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was wrong. So, and I, but in my head, I, I was, you know, in the, um, uh, the Arabian Nights, you know, in some mm -hmm. Aladdin's cave and, and just love those stories. So, um, but I, early on, you know, I, I uh, was, um, Again, attracted to honors English later at UC Irvine and then starting to write stories. But yeah, you got a daydream. And the fascinating thing is that when I first, then someone said something about daydreaming. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking, oh my goodness, there's a name for what I do. So <laughs> everybody must do it. Yes. Now, you bring up your your, uh, your academic background. My, mine is mostly in... Uh, physical and social sciences and, and my cohorts in the, the chemistry and physics departments. Um, honestly, we, we would kind of routinely laugh among ourselves at everyone taking what we thought was the easy path through life with programs like creative writing. Now with a lot more years and perspective, I really uh, realize and appreciate how difficult effective creative writing is and just how much of a writer's soul ends up being bared to the world for criticism, ridicule, and you know, hopefully accolades and gratitude. Uh, what were some of your struggles through your advanced degree work and how's that been useful to you as a novelist? I think the main thing that it did do for me, and I've worn a few hats in my lifetime. So I worked as an x-ray technician where I also have the science background, learned anatomy, and that's come in handy. Mm -hmm, uh, credit sure. administrator, middle school teacher. But you don't need an MFA, MFA in creative writing to write well. What it did force me to do was structure a lot of reading, a lot of writing, and then analysis of literature. Uh, but it also gave me, I think that's where my love of research started. For my honors thesis, I was uh, investigating author Amelia Opie, who probably very few people have heard about. She was a contemporary of Jane Austen. Um, but I learned to reach out with that experience. I found out she had original letters at the Huntington Library. I was able to mm. sit in their research department and read them. I wrote to, she was a Quaker, so I wrote to the Society of Friends in England. I contacted her living relatives. Wow. <laughs> and um, I also contacted um, the people that had written her biography. And one thing I learned is that people are willing to help you. So don't be afraid to reach out and, and get in contact with them. And I think writers need to do that. We all have areas of expertise. And then we have areas, you, you have the police procedural expertise. I don't have that. So that's one area where I do a lot of research. 
Now, um, before is I, I'm really tempted to just jump right into your your research process, but before um, before I do that, I, I want to know a little bit more about your your creative process and your inspiration. Um, do your stories uh, kind of present themselves based on like outrageous headlines or gossip among friends and neighbors, or, or is there some intrinsic curiosity you have about murder and mayhem? Yeah, I'd say all of the above, but my process is, you know, the interesting thing for this title, it was a little bit different for, for Unveiling, which was my debut novel, and that um, was very historical and set in Saudi Arabia uh, and then New York and California, but I did a lot of research, and um, that that book, I, I met someone who inspired me to write it, so that was the catalyst. For Burgundy and Bodies in this series, I actually had the titles before I had the book. That was both terrifying, but it was also fun, um, since I, as I was saying, I you know, also uh, have experience with teaching in middle school. Mm -hmm. It's like having a writing prompt, right? So yes. uh, Burgundy and Bodies, I, I had found um, some information in researching about body brokers. So that was the, um, the format around, around which I worked. Pinot Noir and Poison is obvious, right? Here. Yes. I'm gonna delve into different types of poison. And, uh, but I didn't really know where the story was going until I started researching poisons. And, uh, you know, for example, as her research is fun, is the, you know, finding out that hemlock works from the outside in, so your fingers, your fingers and toes tingle, and that it slowly uh, paralyzes your muscles until it hits your diaphragm, which you need to breathe, and then you literally suffocate, but it does not impair the mind. So you're aware of it the whole time. Those are things I find fascinating. <laughs> And you can build a whole plot around it. Uh, Rosé and Rocks, which is on pre-order and comes out at the end of this month, um, I really wanted to write about uh, or have the plot revolve around Poison Rocks, which are out there. But that one didn't work. So, uh, you know, in researching, I came up with Blue Diamonds, and then the plot sort of evolved around that. So, yeah, sometimes I have the idea first. The next one is uh, Grenache and Graves, so it's going to probably take place in a graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Now, before I can move on to um, to your, your research process in general, you, you used a term that just instantly threw up the emergency brakes for me that I, I have to you know go back to here. Uh -huh. How did you learn about body brokers? Research. So, it, you know, and we'll talk about my process there later because I've learned to get in and find what I need and get out. You can waste days and months on research. But I was looking up, um, like, the shipping, how to ship a cadaver for Burgundy and Bodies, um, and I found a wonderful uh, paper on, from FedEx on how to transport human <laughs> tissue. And I love the title. It was called Deep Frozen Minus the Deep Pockets, which I thought was really cute. I like titles. Wow. <laughs> but yeah. um, when in, in examining that, I came across, which is sort of terrifying, and I, you know, I call those nuggets. You want to put them into your writing because those are the aha moments for readers. And what I found was that, um, you know, if you donate your body to science on the little pink dot on your driver's license that we all do, that's strictly regulated. And so, of course, you're, you're parts are going to go to help other people. However, um, anyone who dies, uh, if they're a, a 
next of kin can sign off to, um, sometimes they're selling flyers in the mortuary, uh, to sell your body, what they say is to sell your body to science, but that is not the same. Those two are not the same. Body brokers, um, and that's, they don't like that term. They call themselves, <laughs> <laughs> they call themselves non-transplant tissue bank. That's your key, non-transplant. Wow. But okay. that means that, um, it, okay, so basically you can buy a whole cadaver. You can buy, you know, um, 20 arms, a couple of arms, legs, and a head. Um, and they're shipped all over the place. I even found out that some of the parts you don't have to buy them outright. You can rent them and then return them, which I found terrifying. Wow. Yeah. And that's yeah. not very well regulated. These body parts go even internationally. They're shipped all over. Well, my head is spinning right now with all this new information. That's Yeah, it's amazing what you come across in research, right? Yeah. So on, on that note, um, you know, I'd like to give you the benefit of the doubt that that you've never murdered anyone over Merlot, and that you know. But once once you establish an idea about a storyline or a plot, what is, what does your research process look like, and how do you go about becoming expert enough to write about it? Yeah, I don't. I actually don't actually spend time starting with the research. I'll have the idea for the story, and as I'm going through the story, when there's something that I need, like uh, you know, hemlock. When I got to the point where I knew someone was going to be, also um, death cat mushrooms come into play, which are interesting too. But then I'll stop and I'll research that one item that I need. Uh, for example, and. Um, one of my other books, uh, Evil Hears, that's Japanese and Chinese mythology. I, you know, I don't have time to to read everything. And one of the one of the points in the story is that these characters end up on Mount Everest. So I jumped in and I researched that, and then I jump back out and I keep writing. So I don't necessarily, um, other than getting the idea for the book, that's where I will research in advance. But mostly, I'm researching as I write. That's got to be a fantastic time saver that you're not um, becoming a total expert on the whole topic, but just those, those little slivers that you need to make the story convincing. Well, exactly. And that's, I've, I've learned my lesson the hard way on that one. My, my first book unveiling, which, you know, I was saying is, was written with this Middle Eastern culture um, that I wasted a lot of time researching. I spent summers reading books, including original accounts of, you know, Sir Richard Burton when he wow. was there in the 1800s. And um, I wasted time. It was probably, probably really just an excuse not to write. <laughs> so sure. yeah. You don't yep. want to do that. Um, so what I've learned now with research, and I think people are afraid of research for that reason. I think they're afraid it's going to take a lot of time, um, but it doesn't have to. You, you find what you need, you get in, you find what you need, and you get out. If I'm looking something up, I'll, of course, we all use the internet, but I'm very good at skimming for sentences, and if I don't find what I need very quickly, I get out. YouTube videos are fantastic. They're a great way to, you know, if you want to see what the O-Course at Quantico looks like, or mm -hmm. how to notch and shoot bows and arrows, or how to, see, for me, I looked up how to load aim and shoot a glock i had no idea <laughs> so, but then i feel it you know i feel it and i can write about it so for me i'm also very visual i'll look up images images don't take any time at all you know you can find pictures of prisons and whatever you need to find 
Now, have you uh, created relationships with technical advisors um, or is it mostly, um, you know, paper and internet research? Mostly paper and internet, but I, you know, that's one thing that I'm constantly changing uh, is finding, for example, with unveiling, I wasn't about to publish a book that was written about the Saudi Arabian culture without having a wonderful beta reader. And I found a woman who taught literature at the University of Riyadh. So it is very important, I think, to have experts. I do have a friend who teaches uh, criminology at the college level. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's a great source. Um, but I think that's important. I, I do find I would encourage people, you've probably done that too, is reach out to other writers, reach out to um, police force. They'll, they're always, I, I've found, found that people are there to answer questions and help me. Now on semi-related note, if, if the FBI did have a look through your internet search history right now, how much trouble do you think you might be in? Oh my goodness, a lot. <laughs> yes. I, it, for days. Oh my goodness. I, you know, I've, I, the funny thing that I find is that all of these searches on poisons or how to ship a cadaver or the proper way to strangle someone, which I can tell you, um, mm -hmm. I can tell you that that was something I looked up recently because I had no idea or federal, federal prisons at Terminal Island. Um, yes. You know, it throws off your shopping algorithms. So, you know, all of a sudden I'm getting the, the bone, saw, bone cutting saws for sale. <laughs> Perfect. You know, it, yeah, it's just what the doctor ordered. Yeah, and I do think, what would the FBI make of my search history here? Now, one of the, uh, one of the major recurring themes in this podcast is my belief that most people only need about a decade of consistent blood, sweat, and tears to become an overnight success. Uh, what has your growth and development been like from an aspiring writer to published author? That has been a process, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I finished my double master's program in 2003, so it's been some years. Uh, my first novel took me the longest, and uh, you hit the nail on the head with saying it's very, uh, it's, a difficult, it's one thing to write, it's another thing to put your writing out there, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's terrifying. And, but if you love to write, I think that's where the passion starts from. That's what keeps you going. I remember in the process when I wrote the first uh, novel, the first draft of the first novel, which I later gutted twice, just gutted, threw it away and almost started over. I'm not sure what kept me going, but it maybe just love of writing. But when I would go back and then I would read a passage or a few sentences and I would go, wow. And then I thought, oh my goodness, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> the, yes. that, that kept me going. Um, and that first book unveiling came in uh, third or honorable mention from Writer's Digest. So I, wow. I guess I was doing something right. And then my yeah. second novel, Evil Speaks, was uh, came in third in the um, uh, reader's favorite five-star, all five-star books of 2017. So, uh, but you know, there's, there's the insecurity process of writing. So just keep going if you love it you, and you get better at it. Like I said, um, when I finally realized that I don't have years and years and years to write one book, it's not what I wanted to do. I want to write faster. I found techniques. I found techniques for finding what I need faster, outlining faster, getting really to the writing, the right, and then setting goals, whether it's 3,000 words a day or whatever the goal is to keep, to keep going. Um, and then at the end, you pretty soon, you can sit down and write a book in a month. It, it takes time. 
Now, from a, uh, I guess, a realism and authenticity perspective, uh, murder generally doesn't have quite so much in common in real life as it uh, with its its fictional representation. Um, how, how do you balance the authenticity of actual crime, um, in which you know almost always it's the spouse, it's a loved one, it's someone close to them, um, with kind of the demands and expectations of readers who want to follow along as your characters solve a, a legitimate mystery? It is a balance. In it, again, I don't have that forensics background, so I've read a lot, and um, I have one wonderful book which stresses it's not like you see in television. Mm -hmm. You don't get the blood results back that quickly, and the toxicology doesn't come back that quickly. So sometimes I'll handle it by throwing in a little joke, uh, mm -hmm. which I find fun. You know, maybe one of my characters will will say, you know, uh, something about the toxicology, and they'll say, what do you think this is, a TV show? So, but I think those little things will also impart the authenticity. Uh, you still have suspension, suspension of disbelief. I think when a reader is there and they're engaged in the story and the people and the characters and the, the whodunit and how and the secret lies, um, you're lost enough to overlook some of those details. What, what do you find? Because you actually, you live it. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the difficult things for me is that the, the tedium of investigations um, would make a horrible book. Um, most of the case takes, you know, days, weeks, months, sometimes years. And oftentimes real life just simply isn't as complex as it's fictionally portrayed. And, you know, so generally speaking, um, I, I don't think that I've ever really looked hard at a first suspect who was proven to be absolutely innocent and a second suspect who was unknown at the beginning, which is kind of the theme of, of a lot of crime genre, right? It's, it's the unexpected guy. Absolutely. Um, and generally speaking, the evidence doesn't lead you that far astray. Um, but you know, it's, it's entirely possible, which is, you know, what, what keeps uh, detectives at work and uh, allows crime fiction authors to make a living too, I guess. Again, I think part of that in fiction comes from the interconnections. You mm -hmm. have you have those uh, five, six, whatever it is, suspects, and somehow there are not only do they have these little secret lives that come out. Um, that Agatha Christie was great about divulging those secret lives. You also have their interconnections, how they're connected in the past. So that's maybe that doesn't come out as much is what you're saying in the real life situations. Now I'm wondering from with all of your all of your background and all of your your craft and all the development that you've you've put in. Um, I wonder in in your mind. What are the kind of some strongest and weakest parts of your work, of your craft, and what are you still working to improve in your own writing this year? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I've worked really hard. What didn't come naturally to me, I, the description, the descriptive parts came fairly naturally. I've had to work very hard at dialogue, and I, I like to think now I'm pretty good at it. It's it's short, and it's... Um, uh, snappy but uh in order to learn that you know again I, I like techniques that will help me improve fast because we really want to get back to the writing so mm -hmm. i read screenplays 
I wow. just bought screen bought screenplay after screenplay and I read them because screenplays are all action and all dialogue and it leaves everything else out. So that helped me also learn how to set up scenes, use use plot structure, um, you know, moving moving sort of from one scene to the next. Those are techniques that have that have helped me learn that aspect and make my writing stronger. Now, whose books do you read for fun? Oh gosh, so many. Let's see. Um, what am I reading now? I'm reading uh, Bella Camino. Reading, um, you know, I, I'm reading murder mysteries. Uh, you know, I'm sort of eclectic in my reading, but now that I'm writing murder mysteries, I'm reading more and more. I've always watched shows like Sherlock Holmes, you know, and the, yes. the uh, uh, anything by Agatha Christie and Criminal Minds on television. But I'm also, uh, we'll be reading yours this summer too. So <laughs> we, we talked about it earlier and I'm yes. like, wow, that sounds that sounds crazy with the uh, whole whole Catholic Church angle. Yeah, you know, I, I'm really uh, I really hoped uh, to try to create um, a pretty unique character that's kind of the Venn diagram of uh, Michael Connelly's Harry Bosch and uh, Jason Bourne and uh, uh, Robert Langdon from the Da Vinci Code series and and Dexter, the serial killer who kills serial killers. So hopefully I, I, I tried to put all those guys together and have my protagonist be pieces of all of them at different times. And it's been fun. That, yeah, that helps. Cause I, I grew up on Ludlum. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah he's uh, just did such a fantastic job and I've been really impressed with how uh, some of the other more recent authors have picked up the, uh, the mantle um, of, of his work and carried it on. Right, right. Now, th this last question I ask of every author who comes on the show, so it's mostly because it's fun for me. But <laughs> keeping that last answer in mind about your your, your fictional investigators, detectives, and, and, and who you read, uh, God forbid it should happen, Sandra, but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself murdered, what fictional investigator would you assign to your own case? Oh, I... Hmm. There are a couple I like. I'm thinking Poirot, but you know, I would I would go with um, I would go with DSI Barnaby, Midsummer Murders. Yeah. Fantastic. That is the first time Barnaby's gotten a nod on this show, so he's yeah, he's I officially on the board. <laughs> <laughs> now, where where can fans connect with you and uh, the the Wine Valley Mystery Series and find out about releases? Maybe get on a newsletter. Sure. I'm uh, exclusive to Amazon because, you know, that's what writers have to do to be on Kindle Unlimited, where you can buy all of my books for free if you want them. Um, and they are in ebook and print format. And then this summer, I'm going to look at audiobooks. But I also have a website, which is SandraWaffington.com. The last name is actually worked in my favor because it's very rare. So if you, yes. if you Google me, I come up um, and it's W off, like turn a light switch off. And then I N G T O N. So uh, through my website, and I'm happy for people to contact me. And I also have a Facebook reading group called Waffington's Reading Warriors: Mis Murder, Mystery, Magic, and More. And that's where I post updates, giveaways. Yeah, so that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Yeah, I was uh, uh, 
really grateful that uh, when I was, we, we first started talking about having you come on the show that, um, you know, for having kind of a complicated and unique last name, it's at least phonetic. <laughs> so that, that helped me True. out tremendously when I was, <laughs> I was trying to do a little open source to prepare for the interview. Yeah, you know the uh, uh, a little side note. I lo I look up character names too. I I just mm -hmm. I find them fun for what they mean. So mine stems from the Woofingas, which is an East Angles clan, and it means descended from wolves. Oh wow, <laughs> yeah. that is that is fantastic. And now you're. Now you're out fictionally murdering people. <laughs> exactly. You'll have to slip a wolf in there somewhere. <laughs> yes. Have to, have to do some paranormal romance or some Twilight. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Well, I, I greatly appreciate you making time to come on the show and sharing your expertise with us, Sandra. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been author and prolific researcher Sandra Woffington. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.